Welcome everyone to episode 52 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Burnick and my special guest this week is Jeff Dill. Now Jeff's a retired captain from the Palatine Rural Fire Protection District in Illinois. He became a clinician after that and then in 2011 he started the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance, otherwise known as FBHA. And that's the only organization that's out there tracking firefighters, EMS, and dispatcher suicides. So on this particular episode, we're going to talk a lot about behavioral health, some issues like suicide, PTSI, substance abuse. So without further ado, let's just bring Jeff in and, and get to it. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the 25 Live. Jeff Dill is here in front of me. How are you doing this morning, sir? I am doing fabulous. Uh, beautiful morning uh, here in Branson, Missouri, so enjoying life right now. Very good. Very nice. Um so let's just kind of jump right into it, sir. First of all, um, how did you get involved in the fire service? Well, it was actually, I was building my house out in Gilbert's, Illinois in 1986. And uh, my next door neighbor uh, was a deputy chief for Rutland Dundee uh, Volunteer Fire Protection District. And uh, around 1988, uh, you know, we were friends and he said, you know, we're looking for uh, some volunteers. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm doing things. I'm a sports director at a radio station. My full-time job was driving a truck for the school district. And then finally in 89, I said, you know what? Uh, I'm looking for a career. I've done a few things, real estate, minor league baseball, radio. Um, you know, I'll, I'll try this. And uh, so I went through the academy EMT class. Then they sent me through paramedics class and officers, moved up to a lieutenant. And then finally in 1995, my career department um, was founded, Palatine Rural in Inverness, Illinois. And I thought, well, I'm 33 years old, I'll give it a shot. And I was fortunate to be one of the founding members. Very nice. Uh, and is that where you ended up retiring from as well? Correct. Yeah, I put uh, my 20 years in. I, I could have stayed longer, but uh, in 2011, my wife will be celebrating 40 years in November, married 40 years. Uh, she moved down in May of 2011 to Phoenix. Uh, my two daughters and my son-in-law and grandchild, our first grandchild, moved down there. And, uh, she, you know, I'm traveling. I'm working 24, 48s. Uh, she's by herself a lot. Uh, she has a little, some health issues. And I said, why don't you just move down to where our daughters are and I'll get my 20 years in and we'll, we'll I'll move to Phoenix and we'll see where life takes us from there. And so that's uh, what she did. So I went back and forth uh, to Phoenix for three and a half years. At that time, my oldest daughter worked for United Airlines. So I had free standby errors and uh, it worked out uh, very well. Yeah, yes, I could have stayed longer, but in January 2015, uh, just after my 20-year anniversary, I did retire from the full from the fire service. First of all, I'm jealous that you only have to do 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I was yeah. I was, I was fortunate. I think, uh, as far as I know, you and Indiana have that. I don't know if anybody else has that. I know <laughs> I got to stick around for 25. So well, even I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, six months, <laughs> and I could have been retired if I was in <laughs> Illinois. Right. Yeah. And there, there were some benefits being the older. I think uh, because of the new laws, uh, you had to be, you have to be a little bit older and you have to put in a few more um, years. So I was kind of grandfathered. Oh, in. it's like a, it's a combination. It's, it's a level right now. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't like that until about 20, I think 2016 or 2017. So. Okay. Well, when did you realize that you had an interest 
and behavioral health? You know, that's, uh, I was just, I was a battalion chief for most of my career at Palatine Rural. And in 2005, when Hurricane Katrina hit, I asked my chief, I said, hey, you know, they're, they're sending a task force, Chicago land area firefighters. And he said, no, nah, Jeff, he says, uh, you know, I, I need you. You got a lot of things going on. So I wasn't able to go down to New Orleans, but uh, some of our members from our department did, as well as a task force from Chicago. And when they came back, they said, Jeff, man, they were showing me pictures and they were, they were struggling. Uh, they saw a lot of death, a lot of destruction. And they went to their counselors, uh, good people, but they just didn't understand our world. Our world's a little different. Remember, this is 2005. We didn't talk about behavioral health and, and things like this. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll go back and get my master's degree. I got to have something, you know, for my future. And that's, uh, that's what I did. I became a licensed counselor. And in 2009, I founded counseling services for firefighters. And this was an organization that was training counselors and chaplains. Uh, we held workshops. You want to, hey, you want to work with us, you need to understand us. And then in 2010, I started receiving emails and phone calls from around the world saying, do you do anything about firefighter suicides? I said, I didn't know we had a problem. And sure enough, I, I you, you give me an acronym. I, I, I called them uh, the, the NFA, the USFA, the NFBA, the IFF, the IFC, the NFF, um, OSHA, NIOSH. No one kept any data on firefighter suicides. So in t late 2010, my wife and I, we founded Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. With the intent of actually keeping track of firefighter suicides. Correct. Correct. And that's what we, that's what we started doing. I, we started doing research and um, it, it was simply amazing. And soon enough, a lot of people, I was writing some articles would contact us and said, Hey, you know, my, uh, my brother or my dad, my sister, or my uncle, our department, uh, we've lost, you know, members to suicide. And pretty soon the, the numbers started going higher and higher. And we decided then to, uh, present workshops on PTSD and suicide awareness. And that's when uh, our first, uh, we had an article done by, I think the Chicago Tribune or something. And uh, Mike Yeager, he was a battalion chief for the Philadelphia Fire Department, saw the article and said, hey, we'd like to, Local 22, would like to bring you out here to do a workshop. And we did four of them for the Philadelphia Fire Department in December of 2011. And we have not looked back. We've been very, very busy. Nice. Excellent. Now, looking into some of these suicides and being really the first to dive in deep and, and realizing how significant of a problem it is, what are, what are some of the perhaps reasons for, you know, these, these you know, firefighters completing suicides? Yeah, and, and it's a great question because a lot of people always believe it's, it's PTSD and, and, and the job, which is a major part of it. But understand, uh, let me just clarify how we validate the reports. On our webpage, uh, when we first started, we had a confidential reporting system, and it's still used today. Uh, people would fill out the report and hit submit, and I'd receive the email, and yet I didn't know where it came from. That was just the way it was designed. Uh, uh, Robert Douglas uh, from, uh, from a police organization uh, gave that to us, and uh, we appreciate it. Of course, over the years now, I get phone calls and emails and text messages saying, hey, our department just lost someone. But we still hold it to the confidentiality. 
And so when I get those reports, I then contact the fire or EMS chief. And uh, so we have now validated 1,526 of these tragic events. And I've personally spoken to about 1,470 chiefs and, and family members have called us too. Uh, they've, uh, they see who we are and they're hurting and we do a lot for families. But when we started looking at that data and started doing all those interviews, this is, you know, we only had the one workshop in 2011 that was called Saving Those Who Save Others. And uh, so now to this day, we have seven and it's all based on the data. And so we started seeing the reasons why. And unknown, of course, is number one. The chiefs or the family members just simply don't know why there's no note left. Uh, you know, they, if I had a dollar for every time someone would say, they'd be the last person on my list that would have taken their lives. And, and I tell them, well, it's because we're damn good actors. You know, we don't want anyone to see that we're struggling. But uh, unknown is, of course, the number one reason. But the number one known reason we found out was marital and family relationships going through divorces, uh, cheating on love, you know, cheating on family, loved ones, the guilt uh, of that. And, and I started really looking at this data and, and I can make a lot of assumptions. I can't prove anything, but we're working on that. But it's my belief that, you know, we're all culturally brainwashed in this job. And it's not a bad thing. It just means we put this uniform on, we have certain expectations on how we are supposed to act. And, and brave, strong, courageous, give help, don't ask for help. I handle all issues on my own. And we're adored by the public. And then I see a brother or a sister going through divorce and I just wonder if it's the mentality process, you wanna leave me? <laughs> and and that, that, that rejection comes in very quickly and that disappointment and that frustration. And so that's, you know, marital and family relationships. We now have a workshop training uh, to educate family members on, you know, signs and symptoms, what our job entails, but how it affects you and your children at home. And so number two uh, known reason in our data is depression. Depression is very difficult for people to struggle with. And, uh, and it's, I believe it's even getting worse uh, when we start thinking about the virus and the rioting that's going on. And, and I've been in contact with my brothers and sisters across the you know, East and West Coast. And, and to hear the things that they're struggling with is just, is simply amazing. And that's above and beyond the stress and anxiety, the depression, the addictions, the sleep deprivation, and the anger issues. Uh, number three then does fall into diagnosed PTSD. And uh, it was always known for a, a military or police. And now we're seeing it as, as states are now adding post-traumatic stress disorder as a uh, workman's comp issue. And, and yes, I believe in post-traumatic stress injury, you know, where the brain sees something and it becomes injured. It's just not, it's not in the diagnostic statistics manual for counselors yet. And maybe in the new uh, version six, it will be. Uh, number four is physical or medical issues that they're struggling with. And, and this one, we see a, a real increase over the last couple of years due to cancer in the fire service. Uh, we've had uh, just a plethora of families and people contacting us saying they didn't want to burden our loved ones with the emotional or financial issues of cancer. So they've been going out taking their lives. And then number five is addictions. I mean, that's 
that's the self-comfort, the self-prescribing, alcohol, medications, and uh, and then there's others. I mean, there's financial, uh, there's legal issues, and then of course there's combinations. You know, maybe they saw a bad call, they turn to an addiction, and it ruins the relationship. So those are what we have found through the validation process. There's a lot to digest there. Uh, there absolutely is. Let me ask you this, and well, I'll tell me, I'll tell you a story to get to the question, if you don't mind. Um, I I have the luxury of knowing Jen Kramer and and befriending her over the last few years. She's uh, been at our last two health and wellness conferences, and now you're coming this year. That's a, a plug, and I'll really go into the plug later on. That was my cheap plug, but uh, having had her on our shows and understanding again what you're talking about of, of uh, departments letting you know and you being able to keep track of that and validating that i was aware of everything you do when we had a member um complete suicide last year and so i was able to pass that on to her which she passed on to you and you were able to validate that probably pretty easily because of that um but that's because i was aware of of of, right. of you guys um so I guess my question is, and I know it's a roundabout way to get to that question, but I was aware of it. I was fortunate to have that knowledge, but how many of us are really out there that, that know that this is a thing and that we can, that you're validating. And, and I guess where I'm going at is how many firefighters, uh, complete suicide that are, you know, not known, um, that, that, that do not get told to you or that are right. almost hidden because I've seen that too um, right. as well, where they almost, they cover it up, the family or whatever they're, they have this, they're ashamed or whatever the reasons may be. That's not for me, but it doesn't really get acknowledged as an actual suicide. No, it's a great question uh, because we estimate about a 65% reporting to FBHA. You know, we, uh, when we, when we say fire EMS and dispatchers, and that's, you know, who we track and firefighters are volunteer career, military, and wildland. I've spoken at many military bases across the U.S. And in fact, I've even been invited uh, to the Pentagon by a Brigadier General, which was a memory I, I will never forget. It was, it was absolutely incredible. But 65%, uh, where we feel we miss out a lot is on the EMS side, as well as the volunteers. I mean, there's just, and we don't really go out and promote what we do. You know, everybody's supposed to go around and say, hey, is your department at a suicide? Call us. You know, we're, we're not Ghostbusters. You know, and it's, and it's still very, very personal. And family members, and you'll see departments uh, that won't uh, talk about it. They, uh, families won't put an obituary in the paper. And, and who am I to judge? That's one thing I've learned uh, with hearing all the stories. There is no way I could judge any of our brothers and sisters because I never walked in their shoes. I never lost a family member or a close friend in my life. Uh, since doing this, I've lost 17 brothers that I have come to know uh, that unfortunately finally uh, uh, to their demise because of their demons that they were struggling with. And, and it's, and it hurts, believe me, it does. But for family members, uh, you know, and, and I look at it this way. I have two daughters. They're, they'll be 38 and 36. I, I will always, though, be in a protective mode of trying to protect my children, their name, and things like this. So who am I to say when a family does not put an obituary in or doesn't want people to know that they were struggling or they took their lives? We just, we just can't judge. 
do you almost feel like you have maybe one of two scenarios and, and I don't know if it's right to just say two scenarios in which the family hides it, they keep it to themselves, or in the other case, the family um, wants to be proactive and try to make sure that it doesn't happen to any other first responders. It happened to them, but like, mm-hmm. what can we do to help and make sure that it doesn't happen to somebody else and somebody else's family? No, we absolutely have that. Uh, we, uh, we, there's actually a third one, and we'll talk about it in a second. But uh, FBHA has been assisting families for years. And, uh, and coming up in September, we'll have our sixth annual uh, weekend retreat for family survivors. We always hold it in May, but due to the virus, uh, we were supposed to be down at the Gulf Shores of Alabama. And uh, that had to be canceled. But so many family members contacted us and said, man, we, we don't know if we can wait another year to see, you know, these families that they've bonded and friends, they, they become friends. So my wife put together a, a smaller weekend retreat here in Branson, Missouri. She found a, like a 10 or 12 bedroom house and we live together for four days. We cook, we go out and do things. We talk about stuff. Uh, we have little parties, we have some entertainment and, but it's just, it's powerful to see these families bond. And that's what's so important is to let these families know that, Hey, you're not alone out there. And the, the courage and the bravery of our family members to lean on our, for, to, um, allow others to call them and talk to them and and they bond instantly it's it's just it's incredible and so uh, you know the the families are are truly very very powerful and in the help in the healing process the third uh, that i mentioned is that um, i've had 100 percent compliancy when i call fire departments uh, because they know I don't use names and I don't use organizations. So they might, uh, the families might not know uh, because how would they? Our data never shows departments. So we, that third option is the chiefs uh, might not tell the families that they had talked to FBHA. And then they might, uh, because I always tell the chiefs, you know, it's confidential. Uh, no one will know you and I talked unless you tell someone, but we recommend that if you know the family to say, Hey, I was perusing the internet. I, I found this organization, FBHA that does for a lot for families. If you would like to get a hold of them, here's their contact information. And, and it's a way of, uh, I don't want to say backdooring, but it's a way of allowing the chief to build that bond with the family and then say, here, here's FBHA. These are what families can do for you that have gone through these tragic events. And so, because uh, I find it very difficult, uh, I don't call families and say, you know, this is who I am, unless they, unless we get some that they've been retired or something, and there's there's no contact with the fire department anymore. So I will introduce myself. And, uh, you know, my condolences, this is who we are. And uh, we try to help families. Uh, just let you know we're out here if, if you need any help. Nice. And you having those contacts, it makes me think back when I was doing stuff with the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. Um, you know, when somebody was diagnosed with cancer, well, hey, we've got a database set up of mentors that have had that same type of cancer. They can kind of tell you what you're up against and then be there right. to, to lead you down that road it sounds like you have kind of the same setup 
um, with that, those surviving family members. We do. And uh, like I said, they are, you know, when you lose someone to a vehicle accident or a disease, tragic as that is, there's some understanding, but for these families, it, it absolutely haunts them. They, you know, their, their thoughts are, you know, what did we miss? Why didn't our loved one come to us? And so when you have families come together, they don't have to explain their loved one's death. They don't have to say, you know, when someone comes up and say, hey, uh, wh wh where's your son? I haven't seen your son in a while. And they don't have to explain because many families just say, he's, he's out of state right now. They don't want to get into the story. They don't want to talk about that pain. And so uh, when these families meet, they lean on each other, talk to each other, they all know they've all gone through, through the same thing. So there's no explanation needed. Okay, no, that makes sense. So let me ask you this, uh, kind of switch to topics, if you mm -hmm. will. Um, I've got you coming in to Exotic Beaver Creek, Ohio in October, uh, October 7th, right? Yes, there's, there's the second plug of the day for me, but uh, in, the, in the show, but you're doing a couple classes. You're doing a class on Wednesday and Thursday. So I wanted to, if you will, I know the, I think the first day you're doing the serving those who serve others. Saving. Save others. Save, saving, saving those who save others. I can't, I don't, <laughs> my glasses on, I cannot read from that far, but yes, <laughs> if you would, sorry. Um, would you mind kind of explaining what that class entails? Yeah, this, like I said, this was our, one of our original workshop for FBHA and uh, it gets changed uh, quite often. It gets updated as we learn more and more. Uh, this one is based uh, mainly on understanding post-traumatic stress and suicide awareness. So we will go over uh, the communications aspect of it. We will go over such things as uh, doing, uh, we'll talk about cultural brainwashing, uh, cognitive disconnect, and we'll go through the signs and symptoms that we've gone, that we've, I, I interview a lot of people. And so we do a lot of surveys and the signs and symptoms are still the top five. And we'll go through those. Uh, we're going to go through the post-traumatic stress because in these past years, we found out that our brothers and sisters are, they're very, um, they're struggling with those four letters. And I don't want you to be afraid of them. I want you to take control of this event in your life. So we go through the diagnostic. If you had to go to a counselor and they're looking to see if you're you know, going to be diagnosed with PTSD, we are going to go through those criterias so that you have a better understanding. And I think to me, education is the key to everything in life. And I want you to understand what they're looking for. I want you to understand what to look for in yourself. And that's the term we call internal size up. And we even named a workshop after it. That's, basically, that's the next one you're going to do. <laughs> right, right. And so, and so we'll be talking about all those different types of issues. Uh, internal size up means look within yourself on a daily basis and ask, why am I acting this way? And, and to listen to others because they see us a lot better than we will ever see ourselves. Nice. So it's, uh, and we'll, of course, we talk about the data. You know, and uh, we'll do a lot of questions and answers. A lot of people have them. So that's uh, uh, just a little little bit on saving those who save others. Okay. What about the, um, if you want to go in a little bit more detail into the internal size up? Yeah, internal size up uh, is more of a, a generic behavioral health. We are going to look at stress and anxiety. 
And uh, we'll talk about a survey that we did where we received almost a thousand responses in a five day period. We'll talk about depression and addictions. And yes, we will talk a little bit more about PTSD. Uh, we are, because Saving Those and Save Others and Internal Size Up will be uh, right next to each other, you know, day after day like that, uh, we are going to change up Internal Size Up a little and we're going to add uh, retirement the issues of retirement, because we notice in our data, we're losing a lot of our brothers and sisters to retirement. So that's what internal size up will look like. Is, it, is that from kind of the disconnection that you had a purpose and now that purpose? Yeah, we, uh, absolutely. And we look at the top three, and we interviewed uh, 125 recently retired fire and EMS and uh, the top three issues were, you know, loss of identity, loss of belonging, and just loss of, you know, the direction, you know, that, that lack of purpose in their lives. And, and you know, as well as I do, you get in 25, 30 years, it, it goes by in a heartbeat. And all of a sudden you're walking out the door at 55 and thinking, oh, what am I supposed to do? And so we'll be talking about how to, uh, departments can prepare members, how you can prepare yourself for retirement. That's, that's great. I know. And I've said it before on a show, but uh, one of my assistant chiefs has said to me before, you know, we leave our members broken when they, when they leave this job, they are broken. Right. And um, I've, you know, I'm working myself. So I, I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in your thoughts on that um, when you do the class. But I, I know that as far as a peer support class um, or peer support team, I want to do a better job of incorporating our retirees. Right. And, and, and it's, a, getting them trained and, and being able to talk to some of the retirees. I've got enough tenure on a job to where I'm comfortable talking to a lot of them because I, I work with them at some point. Mm -hmm. right. um, you know, I, I'm, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, it's just you bring up a great point because uh, we see it in the fire service. Uh, we give them a party and ax on a board and say, see ya. And that's it. Out the door they go. And then if they, if they visit, you know, once every two months or something, people are thinking, what, what the heck is this person doing back again? And they got nothing better to do than come back to the department. And it's, it's almost like we feed on our own. And so these uh, issues uh, we'll be discussing what departments can do uh, to uh, actually create uh, some type of um, steps for retirees, how to prepare them for it. Nice. Excellent. Very good. So I wanted to now switch to that, the 25, I kind of warned you about these right. before mm -hmm. hand, earlier today, 25 questions, pick a number. We'll go through the questions and we'll have a little bit of fun and, um, and then we'll be able to, we'll plug your stuff, plug my stuff and take a break. All right. Well, so, well, my, uh, my lucky number is my birthday, which is 24. All right. Chicago or New York pizza. And that's almost unfair to you, isn't it? Yeah, that, that is uh, because uh, there's no, there's, there's no greater pizza than Chicago. I mean, it's fabulous. Uh, uh, you know, it's just, I've had uh, New York pizza. I've been to New York many times. It's a fabulous city. And, uh, uh, but I'm sorry, I, I got to go with Chicago pizza. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, it's hometown. I was a hometown. I mean, come on. That was, that was a gimme. That was a that was a Homer job right there. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you pick one then? Pick one. Um, I, I always I like these. The first car. Uh, you know what? I will never forget. 
learning how to drive, you know, back in New York, back in the seventies, we didn't have driver's ed. So uh, it was uh, your dad or your mom taught. In my case, it was my dad and my birthday was in June. So a lot of my friends in January through June were going for their driver's license and they're taking their cars and, and they're failing the parallel parking because they couldn't get it into a three-point turn. Well, the car that I had that my dad and mom gave to me was a, uh, a VW. <laughs> and tell you, and it, had, it was an automatic with an overdrive. So you could go along, hit the stick, and all of a sudden it goes like that, and it would zoom. It wouldn't go anywhere. It would just sound really professional and powerful. But that was my car I took for my three my driver's lessons and my three-point turn. And I took that little beetle, boop, boop, boop. I was in, I got my license on the first thing. And I was jealous. The, uh, many of my friends were jealous very quickly. Do you, do you still have that beetle? No, I wish I did. I wish my I did. my I wife, that's her, that's what she wants. Has like a, I don't know, dream. I don't know if dream car is a perfect word, but she wants an old, older beetle. Yeah, I think this was like a 69. And, uh, and, you, and you could tell because the... Uh, the bumpers they have like loops on them uh whereas the after 73 they were just straight bumpers across so mine mine was an old one it was a red one of course you know engine in the back and uh your trunk was in the front so uh, we once fit uh, six of my friends in that little baby had no heat you know and here i am born and raised in rochester new york so uh, it was pretty cold when you drove that baby <laughs> but me memories galore there's no doubt about it that's that's pretty cool. Yep. So, you want to pick out another number? All right, let's go with uh, my wife's birthday, number four. First album. Ah, uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I am a diehard Boston fan, so more than a feeling. And uh, those those songs, and I believe they were the first group that ever used synthesizers um, in in their albums or live or something. And I just I used to play that time and time again to finally it did wear down. So, and a funny thing, uh, being here in Branson now, uh, a few years ago, we came to one of the shows here in Branson, Missouri, and one of the drummers in one of the shows used to be a drummer for Boston. So he gave me one of the, one of his drumsticks. He signed it. And I think Doug Hoffman was his name. He, he was uh, from like 84 to 89 or something like that, maybe 79 to 84, but he signed it for me and I have his uh, drumstick. So uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, how about another one? I'm having fun with these. Oh, please do. No, please do. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pick one. That's another one I like. Let's see. Okay. Favorite comedian. <laughs> this, this is going to sound sick, but my favorite comedian was Sam Kinison. <laughs> it doesn't sound sick to me. <laughs> It's it's for it's not for everybody, right? No, it, it really isn't. But Sam Kennison could make me laugh like no others, and and he, you know, I'm very religious. I believe in the good Lord and Jesus and stuff, man. But when he started talking about the religious aspects, and, and and I'm laughing almost on the floor. I mean, he was just he was incredible, and uh, cut his life cut way too short due to the vehicle accident. Uh, but, you know, many people didn't realize he was a preacher before he got into the, and that's why he, he speaks and, and, you know, joked around about religion because of the, you know, his experience as a preacher, which he truly loved, but he just found a different calling, he said, and that was the, the comic. And uh, I, even now, once in a while, 
uh, I would say like every couple months, I'll go on YouTube and I'll watch some of his old ones. And it's just his facial expressions. His, deli- his delivery, right? Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, when you look at that uh, movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield, when he was that uh, professor, you know, he's say it, say it. <laughs> you know? And it was just, it was, it just, yeah, he's it, it brings a smile. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, Sam Kennison was uh, my favorite comedian. That's awesome. That's so, good stuff. Um, hmm. how do you manage your stress? You know, that's a great question. Uh, my wife sometimes uh, asks me that a lot. She says, you know, you, she, because, uh, you know, when, when you're surrounded by death 24 seven, I mean, people are calling me, texting me, I'm, I'm looking for counselors for trying to help out my brothers and sisters. And, uh, so ha- handling my stress at times, I, I tend to forget, to watch out for myself. And that's wrong because this is what I preach is to do that internal size up. So uh, when my wife will say something, then I go into that internal size up and try to say, all right, where did that come from? And what can I do to alleviate that issue and and get away from it and a different thought process. So another one uh, is I love to walk. I love to listen to country music and and I love to walk. And then when here in the mountain hills of Branson, you know, I'll see deer, I'll see turkeys and things as I'm walking. And it just, it really grounds you. It really puts you back into a certain place that life is a lot bigger than just the little things that you might be going through. So don't internalize so much on those issues. Take a look at around, you know, what's going on in life, what's going around in nature. And then of course, listening to my music. I just absolutely love music. Yeah. Nice. Me too. The, uh, and I tell the story, but I, I have a jukebox, CD mm-hmm. jukebox, Hunter CD jukebox in my garage. Nice. And I just love it because it's, it's so, yeah, I know I have millions of songs on my phone, mm-hmm. right? but there's something about depending on my mood and just scrolling through those CDs, you know, having that page move and picking mm-hmm. out a song. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I enjoy oh. that. Well, in the range of music, you know, my dad, uh, who's still alive, he, we were actually supposed to be out there uh, Saturday, but New York uh, put Missouri on the list. So we had to cancel our trip. Uh, his birthday is next week. He turns 87. And uh, my mom and dad were very disappointed. But growing up, I mean, the range of music uh, that I went through, uh, you know, Lenny Welch uh, from the 60s, Sam Cooke, uh, you know, uh, he and Mrs. Uh, Jones, uh, I forgot his name, who sings that one. But, you know, it was that, it was that uh, rhythm and blues music uh, yeah. in Motown um, that my father listened to that I grew up on. And, of course, then me in the 70s, you know, Gordon Lightfoot, Jim Croce, Barry Manilow, Genesis, uh, Boston, Kansas, Sticks, you know, all that music. And then uh, when I met my wife, her family was all country. So and then I switched, you know, and I now listen to a lot of country music, more older country music, although I, I like the, the Garth and Kenny Chesney and, and newer one as well. But I'm more of the 90s. 2000 and, and that's why uh, at firehouse a couple of years ago we had a fundraiser and we had colin ray as our guest and then uh, the following year we had pam tillis because i, I like that 90s 90s music so it's uh, and then uh, you know uh, my favorite piece uh, which is on my phone is um rock Mononoff and the, from the movie somewhere in time so that's uh yeah so i have a range of of music that i i love to listen to nice very good and your music by the way 
the same as my father's really and my mother's uh mm-hmm. dad no, <laughs> but right. uh, it's it's better it's better than what i have for my generation well i, I enjoy your stuff if you and, and it's funny next time you go to a wedding and uh and just observe when they turn the music on and you'll have you'll have uh they'll, they'll have the old music and you'll see the older people out dancing and then they'll put on the new music and you'll see the young kids dancing but when they put on 70s music everyone gets onto the floor and dances because to me 70s was so easy to listen to and move to and it had such a great beat and that's why you see it at weddings when they play 70s music everyone dances because it's easy to to move with i got two more questions for you please do so uh i know at one point you had an rv yes right? mm. and you were all over the place right what were some of your favorite places to visit with that? Well, you know, that's, that's a great question because we put on 44,000 miles in a year traveling across the U.S. doing workshops. And uh, we love the mountains. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I, I think our favorite place, because we went through a lot of little towns. In fact, we just went back there two weeks ago. Uh, my wife and I, we hooked up our new camper. And, and it's Nashville, Indiana. It's an older town and it's got a big state park. I think it's like the largest state park in, in Indiana, uh, Brown County State Park. Uh, the antique shops, the restaurants, the campground, and it's just, it's very relaxing, very peaceful. And so we decided uh, you know, a few weeks ago, hey, let's go back to Nashville, Indiana. So we drove the, the nine hours with our camper and we spent four days there and it was so very peaceful. Uh, of course, uh, I am a East Coast person, and uh, anytime I get up into the Boston area, it, it's like home for me, because we used to go to Boston two, three times a, a year, and so I, I truly enjoy the Cape Cod, Boston, Maine area, and, and one thing that my wife and I will never forget with our camper and my big 2500 Dodge Ram 4x4 long bed uh, driving through Hoboken, New Jersey. <laughs> with our camper and our truck we're on double parked cars and i'm going by and i have a half an inch on each side of my truck and my mirrors and and it's these things and i and I, I i advise people if you have the means if you have the ability you know you're about to retire or you're retiring just try it you know rent rent uh either a mobile we had a trailer you know we pulled a, a camper but get out and see America. There are so many things out there. There are so many people. And we always made it a, a pact between my wife and I. Wherever we stopped, we would eat at the local restaurants. Yes. Because, you know. You no, can, no chains. I right. want something that's specific for that town. That's, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we kept record of, you know, different restaurants that we just absolutely loved. And uh, the, the sites, what's in America, is just truly incredible you know i've done the i'm gonna piggyback on you i've done the trips where you go to let's say the new york city is easy mm-hmm. and you know on this day i'm going here on this day i'm going here i mean your, your itinerary is planned out right that is right. one type of vacation that's and that's great i mean i love seeing the stuff but at the same time i i think back to just a couple of years ago uh hanging out with my dad saying we got five days pack this stuff not telling them where we're going Knowing mm-hmm. that in my head, the, the destination was Field of Dreams in Iowa. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. But how I got there and how I got back, I wasn't planned. 
Right. I just know I had to be here on this date, but everything in between we could fill in. And that was, that was my favorite vacation. Yeah. It's so memorable. The freedom and just again, the food and Mm -hmm. I mean, everything in between was just amazing. And that's what makes it nice is you, you can drive down some of the old country roads because you know you have two and a half days to get to the next workshop and oh there's a nice antique shop or something hey let's try that little diner you know it looks crowded and things and and that's where the memories in fact uh, when that RV got destroyed uh, it, it brought a lot of trauma especially to my wife because that was our home and uh, we were just the memories that we had developed in that year were just absolutely incredible. So we knew it wouldn't be long before we went out uh, and bought another camper. And uh, so we, uh, we went uh, about, uh, about a month and a half ago, we went three weeks on the road. We went up, to, uh, we went to Phoenix to take our grandkids back. They were camping with us. And then we went up to Mojave, uh, Utah. And then we went up to Custer, South Dakota. And just, uh, it was, it took us like a week and a half to get home. We stayed two, three nights here or there. And, uh, but Custer, South Dakota, we absolutely fell in love with it. And uh, we went to the Custer State Park and uh, we, we came around a turn, just the truck, we were in the truck, the camper was at the campground. And, and there they were, James, a thousand buffalo. And they were right in the middle of the road and you just drive two miles an hour and they walk alongside you. And the, they, I think every female Buffalo had a calf. So the little calves and they're talking to each other. If the calf got in front of my truck, you'd hear the mom say something and the calf would move out of the way. And then you look down the hillside and you saw Buffalo, the, the males, it was absolutely incredible. And uh, so, like I said, America has so much to offer and, 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 it, and it hurts to see what's going on in America today uh, because there's so much beauty as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I could have said it better. It had to be an experience to see that. It was. It, it was one of the ones I'll remember for a lifetime. All right. So the last question I had for you in mm -hmm. kind of the field of dreams, maybe you can think about it some more. Today, and I know we're, we're taping this in July because we're taking, I'm, right. I, at least I'm taking advantage of COVID and getting ahead of the game when it comes to these recordings. Right. Um, but my Reds uh, play ball tonight. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited. So being a, a Chicago guy, I got to know, south side or north side? Uh, no side. No side. What? No side. Uh, no, uh, if I had a change, if I had a choice, it would be the Cubs. But remember, I'm all Boston. I am all Boston, and so I. My first Red Sox game was in 1967 when I was six years old. And I saw Carl Yastrzemski play, and I go up to Boston every year to take in Red Sox games. Uh, last last year, uh, two years ago, I took my daughters up there. We went to a Red Sox game, and then uh, we walked around Patriot places. The Patriots were playing Kansas City on Thursday night, opening night. And, and uh, I'm a Boston Celtic fan. I used to drive to Buffalo and watch them play the Buffalo Braves with Bob McAdoo and Randy Smith. And that's when uh, Hondo Havlicek and Dave Collins uh, was playing. And, of course, uh, Bruins fan, you know, Esposito, Bobby Orr. So I'm just ingrained into the Boston teams and uh, yes Tom Brady is left but you know what I'm still a diehard Patriot fan that's just that's just the nature of being this fan they're still gonna beat my Bengals yeah <laughs> <laughs> well we'll see we'll see <laughs> at least at least I'm not a Browns fan 
Yeah, well, poor Browns, man. They, they have all that talent. You know, they have so much talent. And uh, yet they haven't been able to put it together yet. One, one year they will. Yeah, I don't know if we'll be here for that. <laughs> yeah, I've been to the, I've been to Bengal Stadium. Uh, FBHA was honored by the University of Cincinnati uh, for our work, and so uh, we were introduced at halftime, and uh, we got assigned football uh, from the coach at the time and things. So uh, it was it was a very exciting time. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was That's cool. So speaking of FBHA, uh, could you go on to where that? where you can find that website and, and where they can also find you. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're very easy. My, my cell phone's on our website, my email, and of course, www.ff, like firefighter, uh, B is in Bravo, H-A.org. So ffbha.org. Um, we, we do a lot to assist our brothers and sisters. Uh, we find counselors, the National Volunteer Fire Council and FBHA teamed up to put out a national registry of counselors. So I have personally spoken to over 200 counselors across the United States that work with first responders to vet them. And so that list uh, is on our website. It's on the nvfc.org's website. Uh, like I said, we, we try to find counselors. Being a counselor, I know the questions to ask to see if I'd feel comfortable in going to them. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, we try, to, we try to help out our family members and then also remember our brothers and sisters. Perfect, perfect. And now you're going to be, again, this is, I think, the third plug for me, the third annual Health and Wellness Conference, uh, Exotic Beaver Creek, Ohio, October 7th and 8th. I've Correct. got you talking on both those days. I talked to you into that. You're you're a sucker for that. Uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> I think my <laughs> wife just wants me to stay away longer from home. Glutton for punishment. <laughs> uh, yours and mine. So I um, hope to see everybody there. But uh, once again, Jeff, thanks for the time. And I'm looking forward to seeing you live in person. Well, James, uh, it's, and, it's, and it's actually an be, be in your presence. Like I'm seeing you live right now, right. but to be in your presence live in person where we probably still get to wear a mask and yeah and, and elbow on each other right <laughs> but no I, it's my honor and i and i look forward to it and i hope that uh, your your registrations just flow over the top because it's a great job that you're doing you're bringing education you have some great speakers of course bobby halton has given the opening speech and uh, you know you got frank Lito and dr uh, maury merrill uh, so you have a great lineup of information and that's what it is it's education education at its best so kudos to you live in person right i mean remember that when that was a thing i'm bringing it back exactly <laughs> you're starting the trend yes <laughs> you're you're a rebel you're a rebel <laughs> i'll take it i've been there called i've been called much worse right absolutely the same the same here so <laughs> <laughs> all right well jeff thanks for your time and uh to all my listeners i'll, I'll talk to you next week take care all right take care everybody.